Welcome back to the Shift Drink Podcast. Uh, it's been a while, but I am Ed Rudisell. I'm still alive uh, out here, still in the business, somehow still making things happen. Uh, if you can call um, doing the bare minimum to keep the doors open, I guess, making things happen. But, you know, I've missed the show. It's been several months. Uh, I knew I needed to bring uh, a kick-ass guest on to kind of jump back into the water. So uh, today I've got Al Thompson from Washington, D.C. with me. He's been all over the city. He's all over uh, any sort of uh, cocktail festivals you see. He's he's kind of um, got his hands in a little bit of everything. And so uh, we're going to kick it off back into the show. I guess technically this would be season three since I've only taken two breaks. So welcome back to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, like, like, like Ed said, my name is Al Thompson. I'm the bar director for Hanuman and Thip Cow here in Washington, D.C. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Thip Cow, it's a Laotian restaurant. So Laos is close to Thailand, so the food is very similar, but a little bit more spicy, funky, and herbaceous. Yeah, man. And then Hanuman. Hanuman's our cocktail bar uh, with the focus of escapism. Uh, so tro- a lot of tropical flavors. Oh, cool. Uh, but also in- incorporating uh, things that are Lao as well. So white pepper and padek, which is like a really spicy uh, f- uh, fermented fish sauce. That kind of stuff happens in console Yeah, program. that's real fun, man. I want to get into some of that here in a bit because, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, obviously I, I own an Asian restaurant as well. And, you know, and my half of my family is Thai. And so, you know, there's, those are flavors that I think people just kind of um, automatically assume that you just drink beer with the kind of food, you know, um, because it's so hard to pair with, right? You don't hear Psalms really, uh, working very hard to make the pairings because it's it's there's so many things to clash um, in the food because you know you've got sweet salty spicy um, fish sauce all these things kind of working in one dish and then you've got to figure out something to to complement that and um, it's very very tough um, and so you know I think that it's the people that do it well it, it's just it really elevates the food as it does with anything. Right. You know, but um, it's, you know, when you get into Southeast Asia or really Asian in general, it's not a culture where um, wine or cocktail culture really came up with the cuisine. So we're kind of writing the rules now or rewriting the rules, you know, because it is, you know, I, you've been to Asia, I assume um, I've been there you, when it's like a thousand degrees, you want a fucking cold beer. I get it, you know, um, but you know, there's AC in the bars and, and those sorts of things. And it's definitely, you know, when I was in, uh, Bangkok in 2019, um, we're really kind of just starting to see the cocktail scene get its groove. And I mean, there's so few of those kind of craft cocktail bars that you've probably got more where you're at in the district um, than they do in like Bangkok. And so it's, um, you know, working with those flavors, I think you're you're really kind of at the forefront of that and you've kind of got access um, to the flavors that everybody has there. So, I mean, you know, you... I want to go back and talk about the restaurant itself a little bit. Um, you said it's a Lao restaurant. I, um, I've eaten there a couple of times and it's amazing. And yeah, I, I <laughs> my wife's Thai and she eats food that other Thai people think is too spicy. And we ate there and yeah, we really overdid it. She overdid it even like she, we had to like stop eating halfway through cause we just couldn't breathe. <laughs> it was a lot, man. <laughs> it definitely can be. Um, definitely you have to pace yourself. Or just have someone send you food if you if you can say, hey, server, please just what do you think is going to be okay? And we like spicy, but I think what happens a lot of the time is people want to challenge themselves. Yeah, and they want to say we can eat the spiciest food ever, and then they actually get it, and then they're like, whoa, this is way too much. Yeah, we see so, that a lot. Yeah, it's like a pissing match, and you're like you know you're not going to enjoy your food. Like, okay, cool, good job, you eat. You know, we have the guys who come in and like, I wanted spicy as you can make it. Tell them that that there's a Thai person at the table. We're like, man, we don't adjust things based on the color of your skin or the what accent you have. Like, we're gonna make it as you make it. And like, nobody in here eats it as spicy as you're ordering it. None of us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like my chef would look saying, like, are you sure? I wouldn't eat this. Yeah. Well, there's some bro dude out there that <laughs> is insistent. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, that's, that's always a tough one. Um, So let's tackle that one right off the bat. Spice is a tough one, especially when you're playing with spirits, Uh, because, you know, you're obviously talking about a much higher proof than you are beer or, or even, you know, uh, Riesling's always a a fantastic pairing with Southeast Asian cuisine, but, you know, you're talking about a much higher proof, even after the, uh, the cocktail is made and and it's proofed down a little bit, Um, you know, kind of how do you, how do you personally approach that when you're making drinks to kind of go, you know, whether it's being paired with the food or if somebody's just having a drink, 
you know, you kind of have to keep those things in mind if somebody does order a bar snack. Absolutely. So the thing I try to think about is like what they say in wine is what goes together grows together. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I use in the cocktails are the same herbs that you're going to find in the food. And a lot of the herbs are the cooling aspect, right? Mm. So like mint, for, like mint, for example, is very prevalent, at least in Lao cuisine. So really Southeast Asia in general, like herbs are a big thing with the yeah. food you have. Mm-hmm. You have some kind of meat, you're going to have some kind of herb to go with it. So the herbs have been like a, a major help. So when it comes to like spicy, okay, we're going to use mint, we're going to use cucumber, we're going to use galanga, which is like floral, which is mm-hmm. kind of goes with bitter too. So bitter and cooling and floral kind of all calm the spice down and actually really go but well with the food. So if you have a really spicy dish, but you have a really cooling cocktail, it's a great flavor combination. It's like the perfect thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's probably one of your like toughest uh, hurdles to overcome. And especially, um, you know, that's a, it's a pretty dramatic jump that, jump that you made going into Tip Cow. Cause prior, was it immediately prior to this that you were at uh, Bar Mini or was that uh, even a, a few steps back? That's where I met you initially was, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm still a Jose Andres fanboy. And like, he just keeps getting cooler. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm an amazing chef and I run these cool places. Oh yeah, now watch me save the world. And I'm like, oh, cool. I guess you can get better. But no, I mean, that's, I love the place. Uh, the first time I went in there, I ran up <laughs> a tab that was like two months salary. Um, luckily I didn't have to pay it. Uh, a friend of mine ended up taking care of the tab. That, that was great because I would have had a hard time. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it, it's a miles and miles different. Uh, than what you're doing now. And so had you um, kind of been playing with those kinds of flavors prior uh, to making the jump over? Because in my experience, I find that um, Americans in general kind of, um, I think it's changing a little bit, but seem very intimidated to jump into uh, an Asian restaurant or bar because the assumption is always kind of like, I don't really understand these things. I would rather go work somewhere where I can already wrap my head around it. And, you know, it's uh, it, it can be intimidating. Yeah, well, at Bar Mini, uh it's interesting because we have like a really international team, like people from like everywhere. Mm-hmm. So everyone, we're, we're kind of trying to bring their own flair, their own like, oh, I'm going to try to bring some Asian culture. I'm going to try to bring some Latin culture. Everyone's trying to bring something to it. So one of our bartenders was from, was from South Korea. So he would make, the a lot of cocktails he would make, not every single one, would have some kind of Asian influence to it. So the, a cocktail he had on the menu was called Take It to Phuket, right? Just totally focused on like Thai things. So Thai basil, Where's that chili, uh, some cilantro in there, aquavit, right? So all these things, lime, you're like, hmm, this is interesting. And then he made another cocktail that was a tiki style cocktail and it had Thai tea in it. I'm like, okay, this is things we can do. So I think that was the start of the ideas of what can we do in this next, this next step. And the way that kind of came about, I was working with a chef at, at mini bar who had, whose family happened to own tip cow. So oh, when I started, cool. When I started, he was leaving. So we were together for like a month. So then a few months later, you know, I went in and took out the bar mini team, just hung out, had some food. It was great. And then like years later, like this was like four years down the line, and he he lived like three or four blocks from me. And I was on my way to bar mini to go to work. And I saw him on a run. And I said, hey, chef, if you ever need help with a cocktail program, give me a call. So he calls me like six months later. because hey, I lost my beverage director. What do you want to do? At this point, Barmini was great. I did everything I could possibly do. Sure. I had all the great experiences. And I'm like, I'm looking for the next step. So what's next? So this came along and here I am. Wow, man. That's, I mean, that's really, I think, uh, you know, speaks to the community, you know, within bars and restaurants, you know, and it, it's the kind of, uh, I guess, situation, like you said, you know, you can call somebody six months later and just pick up where you left off. Um, that's a really cool jump. And, you know, you you mentioned some of those flavors. I think those are the kind of, the you know, what, a lot of people would automatically jump to and assume like, oh, it's Thai or, or Laotian or Vietnamese and, you know, like the, the chilies or maybe even uh, like Thai lime leaves or those sorts of things. But you're working, you mentioned Aquavit, you know, and some of these um, things that you don't necessarily, they're not necessarily things that grow together, you know, um, or come together. And I know, and I realized um, that even in those cities, you know, I spent um, a month and a half in Southeast Asia right before the pandemic hit, thank God. Um, you know, that was a lucky trip to get off. But, um, you know, going from bar to bar to bar, you definitely saw some of those, but, uh, you know, you can't just kind of park yourself into those flavor profiles um, because you just see it so often. You even kind of really see it a bit in the food. Um, but, you know, bringing things like Aquavit are real cool. Um, 
And, you know, it's, of course, being an international uh, community, everybody's interested in the things that are hardest to get, right? And so, like, mezcal is real big, you know, in Asia because it's hard for them to get. Um, there are some real cool rums coming out. I just I hope that they get a little bit more uh, love in that. Have you gotten any access to any of the uh, Southeast Asian uh, rums? Uh, rum, not yet. Uh, They're starting had... to pop back in uh, or pop up. I don't know. I don't know of any available in the U.S., but... I've heard that Isan and Cholong Bay will become available in the U.S. in the next few years. But, I mean, that was prior to the pandemic. So, who knows? Isan would be perfect for you. And it's so we, good. <laughs> I have not had it. Actually, we were supposed to go to, to Laos right before the pandemic hit. And the pandemic hit and then trip canceled. So, yeah. we'll see if that, if that comes back next year. Well, um, I've been trying to intentionally avoid the, you know, harping on the pandemic, but I guess this is the first show back in a while. And, you know, it's, it's still, I, I guess one of the things that's kind of been driving me crazy and why it's been really hard for me to kind of do the show is that um, we aren't anywhere close to out of this in our industry. And I think that a lot of people just think like, oh, it's done. It's over. I mean, maybe they're reassessing that now that the Delta variant is surging, but yeah, I mean, I'm still seeing on a daily basis, and we're still struggling with staff. We're still struggling with uh, sourcing um, all of these things. And like, we went from the heroes of the you know pandemic, like you know, thank God they're feeding us. You know, they're out there on the front lines, risking getting sick. To like now, we're like paying poverty wages and all these things, and you know, and now we become the bad guys. I'm like, I, I, we are not paying poverty wages. Not anywhere that I am, and I'm, I'm sure not anywhere where you are. But of course, I'm sure that there are people taking advantage of that. But um, it's it's still real tough out there. And so, you know, when were you able to get reopened at TipCow and uh, kind of start making things happen again? Are you kind of approaching the menu a little bit more conservatively or going all out? Great question. Uh, so we closed for about a month and a half uh, toward the beginning. So we closed from like March to like mid-May. Mm -hmm. And we were doing to go everything. Our dining room didn't open back up again until last August. Yeah. So, yeah. and and then we were doing just doing uh, patio seating for a while until about November, and then this year we really opened back up pretty much almost fully. But that didn't happen here in DC until May. So from like mm -hmm. January to May, we were like fifty percent capacity. Yep. And then, as far as menus are concerned, I've cut back a lot. I've really tried to simplify my menus. I try to make my menu simple anyway, for the most part, but I've tried to use less, like, less ingredients, but still keep it having a variety. So you'll, you'll see it like the one syrup for three cocktails, for example, right? Mm -hmm. A ginger, ginger galango honey, you'll see that in three cocktails because it saves money, right? It's easy for bartenders to prep it, saves prep time for their, for their hourlies. So it makes more sense, but we, we try to keep our menu fresh. So mm -hmm. you'll have that cocktail for a month and then there'll be a whole new set of cocktails. So. That's yeah, so how we get over pretty rapidly now, even now. So how yeah. are you having any issues with uh, sourcing? Because I know that that's something that we've run across. Um, coconut milk has skyrocketed in cost. Um, well, anything. I mean, galangal, like you said, uh, just anything specialized is being imported and really doesn't make any sense to grow in the U.S. I mean, a lot of these things we could grow in Florida or some of the warmer climates, but there's just no buyer. Um, so, I mean, how is that affecting your menu, if, if at all? So as far as like raw natural ingredients. We haven't had a, a huge, huge problem getting things. Honestly, it's more like spirits and liqueurs that we've had like the, yeah. uh, the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. Like I, we have Pisco on our menu and I, I was at a Pisco for almost three months. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, 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 you, have, you have to change your menu because of that. You know, those are the small things that end up changing things. So that's been really the, the biggest challenge as far as like finding lemongrass or galango or ginger or any of the, the main ingredients. It, that's been actually pretty okay. Yeah, and I find that you know there were are starting to become more growers that are taking those things up here uh, in the U.S., which is helpful. I mean, lemongrass. I mean, 15 years ago, we would have to like have family members grow it and send it to us from Florida, and now it's you can get it in any international market. And if or yeah, hell, you can get it at nurseries and grow it yourself. Now, uh, the, one of the biggest issues we've been running across is um, Singha. We can't get the beer. It's been out of stock for I think four months now. I just got a text from my distributor a couple hours ago that uh, said that they have some in. I'm like, well, send me like 10 cases, you know? I mean, we're not flying through because again, we're really limiting our dine-in because we don't have staff. Um, you know, we are permitted to seat more than we can. Because right now, I mean, I'm working, I don't know, 100 hour weeks probably. 
And so it's starting to really wear down the body a lot. And <laughs> like, I laugh because I, I found out last Wednesday, I have to have surgery on both my feet because I have like wore my feet down so bad, so much in the last year and a half that I now get to uh, have surgery on them. So that's, that's an exciting time, you know, <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. It's going to be amazing. Well, I mean, it's, but it, we're all in that boat, right? I mean, that's why we, we kind of, uh, there's no point in bitching about it because we're all, it's preaching to the choir. You know, and so, you know, as how has the kind of, I guess, return to business been for you? Um, I, I, what's the, I, I guess I know everybody has shifted kind of their focus and how they're running service. But, um, you know, I mentioned that a lot of our guests kind of just think that it's over and they're back to normal. Are you kind of getting that vibe or are people still kind of leery to come out or are they just ready to hit it hard and drink all night? You know, uh, you know, what, what are you seeing in DC? I, in fact, I haven't been there for uh, now two and a half years. I was supposed to be there May of 2020. And I was, yeah, like I was coming to visit you and going to go see, uh, you know, all my friends at Espita and everybody. And, you know, it's, uh, I obviously had to cancel that, you know, but, uh, you know, what's it looking like now? Um, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers look like with the Delta variant and all that, but, uh, What's the, what's the effect? I mean, so for us here, just like everyone in the country, uh, the COVID numbers are up. Uh, people are still coming out, though. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that they're coming out in the same numbers they did pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we have the, the freedom to open fully, but we're still not open 100% as far as our seating is concerned. Yep. Um, and just like with you guys, staffing is, is a major part of that. Mm -hmm. um, we, we only have so many hands, so right. we're trying to make sure that everyone is taken care of because at the end of the day, a lot of guests don't understand that it's not the same as it was. You might be able to go out, you might be able to get to your food, but on the backside, on our side, it's not the same. Right. And, and people are, will still complain about this happened, that happened. And there's things that we get, the problem is because we don't have enough people. Like if you're waiting for a long time and no one's coming to your table, it's not that we don't want to come to you. We forgot about you. It's just that the people are overwhelmed, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I've long said, you know, this is our second wave of the pandemic is, you know, this is the, the effects that nobody thought about, you know, the, the things that uh, we thought about that other people didn't like, you know, sourcing um, goods and, you know, farms, nobody raising livestock last year and those sorts of things. But yeah, all, all the rest, I mean, the staffing thing, that's been pretty wild. And yeah, I mean, I'm literally me, myself, and my wife are the only front of house. We have one other guy and that's it just the three of us to handle, you know, and business is starting to come back and we're turning people away and they're getting real mad, especially, you know, because the offices were gone from the city. I, I know you're in that boat. You're in, you're in a city that's, you know, relies on the government. They get to be off for if it rains funny, uh, you know? And uh, so yeah, they just, uh, we started seeing um, there's a, the, one of the largest employers in the city is just a few blocks away and they were off until July 5th or something like that this year. So they've been off for a year and a half and they, all came back in just like everything was over that, it, you know, on July 5th. And we're like, sorry, no, we can't seat you. We can't seat a 15 top. I'm sorry. Like we just don't have staff anymore. And yeah, there, there's definitely um, a combativeness about it. Like people don't understand and they get real mad and, you know, we're right back to the one star reviews. And, you know, like you said, I'm like, we want to take care of you. We just can't. There's only so much one person can do, especially yeah. when you, fuck up your feet and need surgery on, you know? <laughs> so exactly. the, um, the bar, I do want to talk about the bar. Cause I didn't really, um, I have never had a chance to get there. So I've eaten at tip cow. Um, so explain the bar to me because you guys are doing uh, drinks that are very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so what's the, what, what's the bar called again? Hanuman. Okay. So Hanuman is the monkey God from the Ramanyana, uh, known for his fierceness and bravery. So Chef Sang, uh, it's, it's her favorite uh, god, and it's one of her favorite stories from growing up. So she wanted to name the bar at, at, after the resilience and the bravery of Hanuman, which she kind of sees in herself as well. You know, uh, so cool. I, know, I know a little bit of it. I don't know all, I don't know all, all <laughs> of it. I'm not going to be, not going to lie here. Um, but she wanted to have a place where it was a, a focus of loud drinking culture. And... When Bobby called me, showed show me the space and said, hey, this is what it's going to be. I looked at it, I said, like, we're going to be in the weeds. We're going to be, <laughs> you know, packed to the gills all the time. And we definitely were. So the idea behind Hanuman. Where is it located? 
It's on Seventh uh, and Q in Shaw uh, oh, here in DC. Right. Yeah, right next to uh, Dasha Beer Garden. For those who are familiar, yeah. so right now it's actually closed. We're, we're planning on re- reopening it uh, in a couple months. Uh, right now we're just trying to fix our our patio and get it like weather ready, mm-hmm. weatherproof it a little bit better. But the idea is tiki. We're tropical drinks, escapism. So my whole idea, and what I always think about with like spicy cuisine, it, this, the first thought I have is like. And what really goes well with this cuisine is tiki. But how can we do it differently? How can we make it better? How can we do it in our own way? And, and my idea is to have the least amount of rum possible. Because <laughs> people think tiki, they think rum first. Immediately, of all. yeah. I mean, you Google the right? stuff, you look up the books. I mean, 99% of those drinks are, are uh, rum. I mean, there'll be a few gin ones, but then when you start getting into whiskey uh, or really any other spirit other than, you know, rum and, and whiskey, there's a, only a hand of those. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a push. So what are you, um, you're, you're kind of realigning your focus on those drinks. Um, you, are you doing classics, riffs on classics, uh, straight up, you know, originals? I mean, how are you approaching the menu? All the cocktails we do are a variation of a classic of some sort. Okay. And what I try to do as much as possible is now is find something that's obscure, something that I haven't seen on other menus, or do something that I've seen before, but in a different way, without incorporating allowing ingredients that well, maybe adding galango to that. Maybe I'm adding hibiscus. Maybe I'm adding things that you don't typically see. I'm maybe I'm adding fish sauce. Maybe like we have falernum. Our falernum is made with fish sauce, right? Fish yeah, sauce. Yeah, I need to try that. <laughs> yeah. Super, super funky, salty, crazy. Nobody, but nobody tell Richard Steele. <laughs> <laughs> Southeast Asian style. That's know? right. That's right, man. That's, that's the biggest thing. Uh, so you said it's not open quite yet, but heading in that direction. So That's um, right. You're again, you know, back when I, I first met you at Mini Bar, and obviously the, the style of drinks there are kind of very um, modernist, and um, it's it's very cool. It's actually my probably my favorite modernist bar uh, in the country because it's it's done well and it seems effortless, and I, I find that that's kind of the the trick, right? You know, there's just so many places that it's it's form over function. You know, it's like, hey, check out all these cool things. And we got all of our, you know, crucial detail glasses and, and the cool, um, you know, serving vessels. And then you taste it and it's like, this is terrible. Um, I had a really terrible drink at a really popular uh, kind of modernist bar at one point, one time. And I was just like, I don't, okay, it's beautiful, but this is a terrible drink. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I still want the cocktail. And so, uh, you know, I, are you bringing any of that kind of uh, presentation and vibe or are you kind of going straight up more rustic with the, um, you know, kind of tropical vibe you've got at Hanuman? Uh, so at Hanuman, there, there are definitely touches of that elegant, modernist, tech, those, um, those techniques definitely play a role. Mm-hmm. Whereas a tip cow, it's more like traditional. You'll see things that you're used to. Hanuman, a little bit more different. Cool. Where, where there's presentation, there's the senses are involved more. With that's your, your your scent, your your sound, the way the glass fills in your hand, maybe it's not even a glass, that kind of idea. Right. So, um, had you worked at, uh, or did you? You said you worked with the um, kind of Asian bartender, the guy that was bringing in like South Korean stuff. Um, have you concentrated like working in that kind of atmosphere prior, or is this kind of just like kid and candy store where you just have access to all this stuff that you really haven't uh, played around with much in your career? It's, it's actually the kid and candy store because <laughs> awesome, I, isn't yeah. that fun? It's so fun. We're like, hey, there's a million flavors that you've never tried. Have fun. <laughs> it's great. I think the biggest thing is just trying to take take people away from what they already know, and right. what, they're used, what they're used to seeing, and then just flipping on its head and giving them a different presentation, a different way to think about it. So, you know, let's back up to, um, you know, early career for Al here, um, because we've never really got had too much time to sit and chat because you're always working when I'm in the district. Um, how did you kind of get started in bars? Because, I mean, you, you made it through to some of the badass places very young, and now you're running one of my favorite restaurants, bar program, you know? Like, where did all this start for you, man? You know, um, because especially, I'm, I'm always fascinated by how somebody ends up from, like, you know, bar backing is kind of where everybody started. And then, you know, getting into the modernist stuff, because I know it gets shit on by a lot of people out there, but I think it's absolutely fascinating when done well. And, you know, I mean... I still think Alinea is one of the best restaurants I've eaten at. I've been there numerous times and uh, well, numerous, numerous for the price tag, I guess not numerous. Like I go to McDonald's, but you know, um, it's, it's still like, you know, it's not form over function. They meet you on both sides of it. It's always amazing to look at, to see the, like you said, the sensory information 
But at the end of the day, it's still, you can, when you eat that food, you're like, yeah, this guy used to be the chef at the French laundry. I mean, you know, like you, immediately you can tell that once it hits your palate. And so, and I think that's the trick, right? I mean, um, well, it's closed and I don't know anybody there. So I guess I can kind of, I don't want to, you know, disrespect the dead, but Moto, I felt like in Chicago was um, definitely form over function where some of the things were really cool and the techniques were really interesting, but the food just kind of didn't connect um, flavor wise. So, you know, how did you get from, you know, not in the industry whatsoever? I presume you probably started as a bar back. Everybody did. And then, you know, kind of ending up where you are now. Um, you know, what, what was that first job like for you? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so I actually started bartending because I was like 23 or 24 and I was a paralegal and I was going out every single weekend. I was spending all my money. I kept thinking, how can I make money and not spend money? Mm-hmm. Light bulb went off. I'm going to be a bartender. <laughs> so I got a job at the now, What year would this have been? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are. This is 2007, 2008. Okay, wow, great time. Yeah. Just starting to see the resurgence. Great time yeah. to get in. I was in the 90s, man. There wasn't anything good going on then. <laughs> it was just a grind. <laughs> so, okay. Definitely right, so you were like, how can, I, how can I get on the other side of the bar? Yeah, and I started working in a restaurant and I was a server and one of the bartenders called out and they couldn't get anyone else to cover. So I volunteered myself because being a bartender was my ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. So I, I faked it till I made it. You know, I had, sure. saw the, the cocktails there, little cheat sheet they had behind a bar. I told my other server teammates, hey, listen, guys, you know, I don't bartend, but we're going to make we're gonna make this work tonight. So that was like my first introduction. I cut my hand on a speed pour my first night. So that was <laughs> that was a fun. Um, but that was like, my first introduction. I still that, do that, that shit, man. I'm so clumsy. <laughs> I still do dumb shit like that. <laughs> happens to the best of us but that was my first introduction and then the bar manager let me start bartending because that bartender actually never came back so I oh really there. called yeah. off and there's like yeah you know i don't need that job <laughs> good <laughs> maybe you so intimidated from, him you're like oh shit i can't make drinks that well <laughs> <laughs> it was a young hot shot well right right it was me <laughs> so from there i uh i started i started reading more books because I, I really found out like I really love bartending. So I went to law school, actually. Like after working there for about a year, I went to law school. And then I hated law school. I hated it. And I only went because I wanted to be a sports agent. And what happened is that I, I met with a sports agent and he said, you should go to law school instead of, you know, being a runner for, for XYZ sports. You go to law school, learn, learn, make contracts. I was going to contract law. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. At first I was trying to connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah. Contract. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was in law school, I was bartending in a place called West Coast Tavern. And I, when I was in class, I, I hated it. I'm like, why am I here? This is not, this is not fun. I go to work. I'm like, I love this. This is so cool. I get to create things, I like to interact with people. It's so much better. So after a couple of years, I dropped out of law school. So I moved back to DC. I was in law school in San Diego and I was looking for What's, what was next in my life? Because my parents were, were harping on me. Oh, you dropped into law school. Can't believe you did this. Uh, I, I this is a mistake. Work. You know? So from then, I got it. I started working at this uh, train station bar. Who knows? Union Station. Yeah. So I worked there for about a year and some change. And then I went over to another place called Tico that was opening up here on 14th Street. And I met my bar manager who I think was a really influential person because he will always challenge, challenge me. He's like, okay, make XYZ classic, make, make a channel for make this. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what these cocktails even are. So that forced me to read more. He's like, you got to start reading, got to start reading. And then from there, I, I kept practicing, reading and practicing, reading and practicing. I can see we got better. And then I had a few days off. We got, I worked like three days a week over there. And then I was like, I want to get better. Where can I go to be better? And he was friends with the bar manager at the Gibson. Oh yeah. So he's like, he's like, why don't you go to Gibson, stage there, for, you know, every week, and see if you learn something, see how, how, how you can grow. And that stage turned into a position. Oh, so cool. I was working at Gibson and Tico at the same time. And then from there, I went to Chino Chocano, and I love that place. I still love that place, man. It's I, so good. Speaking of what you were talking about, Pisco not being, you know, I just, I feel like, uh, you know we kept hearing that it was going to be the next big thing for there several years there. And, and it's still just kind of Chino Chocano, <laughs> you know, like it never got that big. It was just, it's a great place though. Although I just found out that Simon left, I didn't realize that uh, 
he left and is with uh, Pichette now and uh, is in uh, where's he in Baltimore? Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore. Baltimore yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just found that out a, a couple. Well, it was one of those deals where I saw Pichette post a picture of Simon. Oh, wait a minute, what the fuck? That's hold on. I'm switching. I'm mixing up Instagram accounts here. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So you were at Chino Tricana. I, I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. So the reason I, I even went there is because I I went to Bar Mini in between while I was working at, at the Gibson Antico and my mind was blown and yeah. <laughs> I, I had a cocktail and my mind was blown. I said, I need to work here. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I need to make this happen. So my plan was to work in one of the restaurants in the, in the Jose Andres empire. And she know, it was just opening it up. So I worked there. I proved my middle there. And then I kind of did the same thing I did at Gibson, which was, I went on a stage to bar mini and I would go as much as I possibly could until they just thought I worked there. <laughs> and then, and then, after that, like someone quit. And the thing about Bar Mini is that people are, were at the time were always trying to go, always trying to go. There's a, the line was super long to work at Bar Mini and the, the team was very tight. So, you know, people and people stayed there for a really long time. Right. But at one point, people were quitting left and right, whether it was moving across the country, mm-hmm. they, you know, it wasn't for them, whatever it might be. So I was at the beginning of that time where people were leaving a lot. And then I started at Bar Mini and pretty much the rest of history from there. Yeah. But, no, I mean, it's, it's, it is, um, Interesting, and I would have to guess, and maybe this is just speculation, but you know, um, those were the kinds of jobs you just never gave up, right? You worked at them forever. But you know, I'm doing the math in my head, and uh, and from what time I knew that you were working there, and it was kind of a time where I'm now after that. I think the pandemic ended this. I, I probably said this, but right before we took hiatus, but um, I think we've just been through the golden age of farm to table. Um, I, I think the pandemic did very much to, to end that. Not that it's going to be dead, but, uh, you know, I don't think that we're going to get back to where we were. Cause you know, there was, there was a good seven years there where all you needed to open a badass place was a desire because people would throw money at you to open it. You know, once they didn't even care about losing money. I know personally people that, you know, got investors that should not have been running a place. Um, but, you know, it was kind of that golden era and everybody just wanted to be involved because it was cool, it was fun, and it was just unbridled creativity. Um, but what you also see in that is everybody's making the move to another place, you know. Um, and I was just talking with um, the general manager at Ever, uh, Curtis Duffy's new restaurant in Chicago, um, a couple weeks ago. And um, she said they, they were have, they're having issues with turnover um, in their kitchen, even though they're only like a year in, um, just because, well, the pandemic is causing extra problems because everybody's quarantined. They moved to the city to like get that kick-ass job at a Michelin star restaurant. And then they, you know, they work 20 hours a day. They get off one day a week and they can't hang out with anybody because they have to go home because everything's closed and they're, you know, kind of locked down. So they just kind of bail. And they're just seeing this turnover rate where in a place that you normally wouldn't, um, you know, but people are now kind of just like, looking for the next thing, looking for the next thing. And I think that there was, you know, again, it's speculation. Maybe that's, maybe I'm wrong about that with Bar Mini, but, you know, there was a lot of opportunities. And now that, you know, the pandemic has wiped out a lot of our favorite places, you know, I, I think that you're going to see people kind of, uh, the ones that are left anyway, th- those of us that are lifers, you know, are going to kind of hunker down for a, a little while. Um, I mean, obviously I am, I can't, I can't get a job job. I've got to worry about giving everybody else job jobs, but um yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, who knows where the industry is going to go from here? But um, I, I am very grateful that we got to kind of be part of that, you know, because I'm not sure that we'll see anything just, like I said, just kind of that unbridled creativity and just the free for all that we had in the last 10 years. You know, going from, I mean, re- realistically, I know I always kind of count, um, and, I, and I know this isn't totally fair, especially to guys like Wondrich and, and uh, Uh, Sasha and all that, but, you know, I I kind of consider PDT being the real breakout moment for craft cocktails where people other than industry people started to hear about it. Right. You know, and obviously you can go to any cities now with like a uh, kind of burgeoning cocktail scene like Bangkok. And there's, you know, that PDT style speakeasy bar everywhere and countries that never had a speakeasy never had prohibition. And so, I mean, what was that? 2007? eight, you know, when we, and so we're really only like 13, 14 years into that even now. And so to go from there to where we are now with the pandemic kind of roughing everything up, it happened fast and it was fun. I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, it was coming, but 
you know, it's not sustainable what we just went through, you know, and it was great that we kind of got to, we got people to get interested in cuisine and cocktails again, especially cocktails. I mean, back in the beginning of this, you know, when you were doing it already, I wasn't into it. Um, I was into wine. You know, it took a business partner of mine to really, um, when we partnered up, he was, um, you know, kind of teaching me some of the cool bars that he was into and all that. And man, I, <laughs> I think probably the first or second time I went to one of those places, I was like, this is it, man. I like this, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, it's, um, you've had some pretty kick-ass opportunities and it sounds like you definitely uh, made those opportunities happen. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's interesting, especially when you, with, you know, kind of your trajectory now, um, you know, I think a lot of people would just assume that like you made it to Jose Andres, you made it to dudes that's got Michelin stars, like, you know, where, why would you leave there to move to a place that's not as well known uh, as doing very niche cuisine? Um, and again, this wouldn't be me saying it because I totally get it. Like I've, I've been to that place; it's amazing. But you know, um, so what was your position at Bar Mini? Were you were you the bar manager th at that point? So I was head bartender. So head bartender is like a a kind of a hybrid role. You still bartend, but you also manage, right? You still mm -hmm. you still manage you ma you manage your team. You make your schedules, right? You know, you you do interviews. So you're a bar manager, but you're also still bartending. Mm. It's a, it's an interesting role, and some I mean, you're still doing menu changes, all these things. Wow, you're still in marketing meetings, having meetings with Jose. All these things happen. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of hours. That's like being an owner right there. So I mean, making the jump. Uh, you, I mean, you've got complete con creative control, as, and obviously, you're still doing all the business end of it as well now. Um, so how how long are are you in? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm like, well, there's that year and a half that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> yeah, how long have you been at Tip Cow now? Well, almost two years. Two? Uh, yeah, started okay, so 2019. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, at least you got in before, right? Um, and, and But, you know, and I think these are the kind of uh, situations where you might look back in a several years and be like, that was great timing to make the move because, you know, as everybody's pivoting and changing their service and kind of having to redefine how they how they operate their business. I mean, you didn't get stuck in any old ways or, you know, kind of pine for the good old days of tip cow you know um how old is the place it's not really bit that old anyway is it tip cow is going to be seven years old uh this say, year yeah. yeah just this year wow yeah. i mean it really was it's a, it's a cool spot man so i mean you're running the whole program how big's your team so we just have two bartenders right now including Only you two not including me not including you because this uh, is Germany, uh, this is Tip Cow, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you got two part. That's a that's tough, man. But so, but you've got a. a do you have a crew already kind of um, stacked up for Hanuman or the reopen there, or is kind of waiting back? I mean, it's it's tough, obviously, in the industry now to even get people when you're open and running, much less when you're planning to reopen. So how's that yeah. process going for you? What's great, I think I've been really blessed with the team that I I have from Hanuman. Because we've been able to keep in contact this whole time as far as like, you know, what's, what's happening with Hanuman. All of them want to come back, which is great. I mean, I have three bartenders. They all want to come back, which is awesome, which, you know, hasn't happened to a lot of people during this time. I mean, they, they work in different places right now, but I've been in contact with them. Like, just let us know when Hanuman's coming back. We're, we're there for you. So, really lucky in that way. Right on, man. And I love that, you're, you know, we, we touched on it and I got my brain's all over the place because it's been so long since I've done this. I just want to say everything. Um, you, you kind of go in the tropical vibe, but you said you were kind of pulling away from the rum a little bit. So is there any particular emphasis or any spirits that you're like super into that you want to kind of shove onto that menu? I guess that's not a good way to put it, but you know, anything that you really want to kind of get a placement on, um, you know, I, I asked that because we just, um, and I'll get you a bottle, man. Uh, we just did a collaboration with the Inferno Room. We did a gin with 18th Street Distillery, the gin that's built for Tiki. Um, and so it's got um, more floral notes and hibiscus in there as well. And, and so that it worked well with Tiki rather than being just a smack in the face with juniper, which can get really tricky with tropical drinks. Um, so, I mean, is there any particular spirit that you're really obsessed with at the moment or just kind of just still a kid in the candy store, you know? There isn't. The biggest thing I think is that well, my whole idea is that Tiki is not real. So you can do anything you want. And the way I mean Tiki is not real yeah. is that it's a made up concept, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a melange of ideas turned into something really awesome. So my thing is like, I, I, there's no rules. I can do whatever I want. And I can, I can call it Tiki as long as it has some kind of flair to it, 
great garnish. It's interesting in flavors. They're complex. That's tiki pretty much. And then you can do whatever you want. So I can use pisco. I can use, you know, sochu. I can use whatever I want and, and make it tiki. The bi- biggest thing is a, is trying to get Lao spirits in because obviously it's like a Lao focused bar. So yeah. So Laos, what, what do you got? I mean, what are Lao spirits? Because um, despite having been several, <laughs> a lot of time, spending a lot of that time in the part of the world, I've never been to Laos. And I don't think I've ever seen anything other than beer Lao. Um, I think that's probably the only thing I've ever seen. So what are, what are we talking about spirit wise? So there's a spirit called Lalao. It's like a, a rice based whiskey. Uh, so there's a local provider here. Uh, uh, named White Tiger. His name White Tiger Stilling. So it's funny because one of the owners took out Bobby. He's really good friends with him. He's like, you should try to get some Lala from from this guy. I'm like, and I did. So like our our signature cocktail, which is a painkiller variation, is called Hanuman. Essentially, it has Lala in it that's been cooked down with bananas. So mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, again, you know, and I said it at the top of the hour. Um, it is kind of a, a culture that has not revered spirits in the same way that we have in. Um, Scotland or London, you know, with gin or rum in the Caribbean and all these sorts of things. It's kind of just, uh, and a lot of times it's really been like the poor man's drink, right? Um, you know, Mekong whiskey that's, you know, like Southern comfort in Asia. Um, but, you know, they have their place. Um, but things are changing. And, you know, I, I really, and I did several shows about it, especially when I was talking with uh, Nick's Onaman um, at Asia Today, you know, um, he works really closely with Isan uh, Distillery there, but there's, it's just like this perfect climate for sugarcane and why there isn't just an outpouring. And I think it really just, especially in Thailand, it's very cultural. Uh, alcohol is very demonized in that culture, uh, more so than, than almost anything else. And the bars have had a very hard time during the pandemic because they've been scapegoated for everything, even more so than in the U.S., and just facing constant shutdowns. And Nix has kind of voluntarily had himself arrested a bunch of times by ignoring the, uh, <laughs> the regulations. Um, I think the first time was when he started doing uh, cocktails delivered. And uh, yeah, he got arrested by the authorities. But, uh, you know, um, we're starting to see some of those spirits come back. And I think it really it is tethered to that um, the craft cocktail scene. Um, when you get into... Um, What's the capital of Laos? Vintian? Is, is that yeah, the that's capital? right. Okay. That's right. Um, that's my sous chef's from there. It's the only reason I know that, right? He's, um, but, you know, as far as other spirits, you know, so I, I feel like I've heard of Lalao. Um, and obviously we see rice-based spirits all over Asia, um, but they are quite different. And I think people um, have probably had a lot of really poor examples and just immediately say, I don't like that thing, which you also get a lot in the rum world, right? Um, I'm sure you've got that in, in, you know, serving tiki drinks. People, oh, no, 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 I don't drink rum. I had rum since college, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, because you drank like a handle of Ron Rico. Like, that's what, that's not what I'm going to give you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as, uh, do you have some like favorites of like these rice spirits that you've, that you've tried, whether you not, you can actually get them. You know, I mean, I've tried some pretty fun ones, um, spirits from Asia that you just will never see here, you know, Labanog and stuff in the Philippines and all these fun things, but you will never see it here. There's not enough of a market. Um, what, what are laws like in Washington, D.C.? Because you're in this kind of, you're in a federal district, you have no real representation as a state or anything like that. So what are liquor laws like? If you can get the bottles, can you sell them? You can. Absolutely. So it's That's funny. So I was in Peru, cool, man. Like we can't. It's great. So I was in Peru a couple of months ago with a friend who's opening a Peruvian restaurant, and the whole basis of our trip was to get pisco that you can't find in the states. And his whole idea is to have the biggest pisco library. So we're like, we're gonna go to Peru and we just go to all the distilleries, get all the pisco. So we come back with like ten cases of pisco, and he's all, all, all he has to do is register the, the spirits with with, the, with Abra, and then he can sell them in the restaurant. That easy. I'm, I'm speechless, <laughs> you know, because we just, yeah, when we, when we travel, you know, and you go to distilleries in the Caribbean or whatever, you just, you want to bring these things back. I've got a couple of rums uh, sitting right over here, you know, that I brought back from Vietnam and uh, I'm sorry, I brought back gin from Vietnam uh, and some rum. Um, Agricole style is kind of what they're doing in Southeast Asia, which makes sense. They have beautiful cane, but yeah, I would love to put them on the shelf and we've made some drinks, uh, did a really fun, um, riff on a jet pilot many, many years ago. I still got the recipe in my phone. We called it, uh, oh gosh, oh, TIE fighter. That was a play on words, but you know, cause we were talking about it like, okay, well like it started off as a test pilot, 
then when jet technology came about, it would be a jet pilot. And that's why they changed and, you know, tweaked it. And like, well, what would be the next incarnation of, you know, of flight and aviation? And I was like, space and like TIE fighter. And then my bartender was like, oh, TIE, like T-H-A-I. I'm like, damn, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I was like, I'm an idiot. And so that was what the drink became. But we can't serve it. Not legally. <laughs> and I mean, you know, and so the bottles, we can't even bring them there because there could always be somebody misunderstanding why the bottle was there. I'm really jealous of that. That's pretty cool. And I've heard about that happening in a few other states, but I didn't realize that you guys could do it. Um, yeah. And that and that does explain why there's some bars in, the, in there in DC that have just real rarities uh, on the back bar. So that's pretty neat. So um, the, the owners of the place are from Laos. Uh, that's right. They have a chance to... Um, Go back prior to the pandemic, bring you any spirits, anything like that? So there's actually a rum, a rum agricole called Laudi that that Bobby had a, a bottle of and gave it to me. So we were just messing around with it at Hanuman. It, it's super delicious, super clean, interesting, uh, grassy notes to it. Just unlike any other agricole I've had, I mean, similar but different. So mm-hmm. I wish we can get more of that here. But obviously, I haven't been able to go to Laos since, you know, pandemic. Sure, so. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, they're in the middle of a, a pretty big wave on the pandemic there as well. And uh, yeah, it's been tough. I mean, my family in Thailand's all lost their jobs. Some of them, you know, spent 25 years plus in those jobs and they're gone now. But yeah, it's pretty wild. But, you know, it's on the lighter note of that, it's that's cool. I'd not heard of that rum, man. And now I'm like, oh, my eyes are all big. I'm like, oh my gosh, what? I got to get some of this because I was hunting down everything I could last time I was there. Um, you know, it's so cheap to pay duty on stuff. So uh, I was just like, I'll just take it all. I was more worried about the weight than anything, but um, really, really amazing agricultural style rums. And it just, it's a bummer that, uh, that they don't have wider distribution. Um, now, when you get into Asia, I, I was able to find uh, like Isan and uh, Cholong Bay at, at pretty much everywhere in Singapore. So once you get into Asia, it's a little bit easier. But, uh, you know, in the West, it's a, it's a little bit more of a trick. And uh, the reason I was thinking about Isan was because uh, in 2019, um, now they are in northern Thailand, um, not too far outside of Isan, or maybe they are in Isan now that I, I'm sorry, not Isan. Um, the city, but they are in Isan, uh, just not too far. That's so for listeners out there that don't know what I mean when I say Isan, it's kind of the, it's kind of like that area of Texas. That's not really the United States and not really Mexico. It's kind of Tex-Mex, you know? And so Isan is that Laos Thai kind of mix up. And a lot of the people who live in those regions speak both languages. Um, they speak Thai and Laos. Like I said, my sous chef is from Laos and he speaks Thai fluently, but um so they, that distillery had just purchased a an, an, uh, shutdown and shuttered uh, distillery in Phuket. That's why when you said that, I was thinking about that because it, it significantly increased their production. And so I think that was the missing key to being able to see exports. And so uh, I really hope that we end up seeing something like that because it would be so perfect for your program. Um, now, when you're doing um, the drinks, I, I completely agree with you. I First off, I think tropical drinks go with pretty much anything, but definitely with Southeast Asian cuisine. Um, and I'm really shocked that when you go there, you don't really find, I mean, there's like one tropical bar in Bangkok, like one. And I had Sebastian on the show. And, you know, it's not even owned by a Thai person. It's owned by a Chilean Swedish guy. You know, I mean, it's, uh, but, you know, it's those parts of the, uh, of the scene are still really kind of working themselves out. Like I said, there's probably, you know, 25 bars in a city of 14 million people that are, you know, really putting in the work. And so you're helping to write that, whether you realize that or not, right? Like, I mean, you and you're working within those communities as you very much are, you know, people are going to be paying attention. And, uh, you know, especially when you travel there and you realize who's Googling whom and what they're looking up. And, you know, I was really shocked sitting at some of the bars in Bangkok and um, people that were familiar with friends of mine, you know, because just looking at Instagram accounts, things like that. And um, well, speaking there, before I forget at the end, you are what, drunken mixologist on Instagram? So, I am um, indeed. And, and I'm sure you're being watched, you know, in, in those parts of the world as well. So um, it's maybe you'll end up with bottles floating through the mail, you know? I don't know. We can't even get regular supplies. I don't know how you'd end up with that. <laughs> so, like, what's next? I mean, obviously, um, you know, you're not planning on leaving your job anytime soon. You've only had it for six months. Just kidding. I, two and a half years. But, um, <laughs> But the, uh, I mean, are you long-term want to open your own joint or has that shifted now? You know, I, I obviously 
this has really um, recalibrated a lot of our dreams and hopes and, you know, what we want out of life and what we want out of this industry. Um, so, I mean, what, what are you thinking? You know, what's the long-term plan? Have you changed the way you're thinking about it now? hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, the plan w- was to open a bar and now I'm trying to figure out if, if that should still be the plan and what else I can do outside of opening a bar in, in this vein. Um, if things change or if I find a different way to go about it or a better way, I think is, is much safer. I think I'll definitely end up opening a bar. If not, I'll just continue to consult, uh, make, make cocktails for different places, but also uh, find other avenues. So I think that's the biggest thing. I'm just trying education as well. I'm just trying to find different, different paths uh, to, to spread the knowledge and spread the experience that I've Yeah. So we didn't really years. talk about that too much yet. So you are, you are, have been doing bar consultants for or consultancy for quite a while. Um, even going back to your time with uh, think food group and, um, you also got clothing now as well, right? You got, uh, I do, I do. So uh, let's talk about the consultant a little bit. You know, you've been, what is, uh, I'm always fascinated by this and I've become more fascinated by it the older I get because I have friends that do it like Anna Marie Segoy. And it's like people that make a living consulting and I just, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And I know that people outside the industry do as well. So what does a consultant do? I mean, are you just going in and writing a menu? Because that would be easy, right? It's not only that, you're you're helping train and do all these things, right? So what what is that, uh, is there, is it different with every gig or, you know, I, I guess, how do we wrap our head around this? Yeah. So every, every client was being different. So essentially as a, as a bar consultant, you're either helping, depending on what phase this the establishment is in, is do you just want to change their menu? Do you want to go in a different direction with their beverage program? Are there a new place opening and are looking for someone to help them get that together? Do you not have any experience at all with bar things? And are they really good with food? But they don't know how to get their bar program up mm-hmm. and running. Mm-hmm. He'll be with that. And then everyone wants different things from you, whether that's come on, work with us for three months and train our staff, set up the, the bar program, make a menu, hire everyone, train them, and then leave. Or they want to keep you for a longer time. So some places want to open multiple establishments. We want to open five of these restaurants. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to be the person that's going to help us with that. And you, you you have to navigate that. And everyone wants something different from you. Some people want you to, to, to be a, a general manager of the place. Mm-hmm. You have to have a hard boundary. Say, hey, listen, I'm I'm the drinks person. This is what I do. It's for right. drinks, drinks only. If you if you if you want other information, I have friends I can I can reach mm-hmm. out to, and they can help you with that. But I am the person for drinks. So that's the you're doing thing. all of that while you're still working your regular more than full time job. That's a lot on your plate. It is. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's been quiet the last you know year and a half, obviously because of COVID. Right. right. But it's, it started it started to pick back up again. So. I'm I'm going to be busy very soon here. Yeah. It's a weird kind of time that we're going through now where like you would have to be completely fucking insane to want to open a bar or restaurant right now. But if you've got the money and it's really what you want to do, there's no better time because there's people like me out there that are liquidating stuff to pay off our debt that we've accumulated. I mean, I just sold, you know, a year ago, I sold uh, a 10 year old restaurant that did, you know, James Beard nominations and stuff for, less than a Cadillac, you know, with the liquor license. It's just insane. So like there are opportunities out there if you're like, you know, a lifer and you you want to go for it. So yeah, you're going to stay real busy. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just saw about the the clothing thing uh, on your most recent Instagram post a little bit ago. Um, fill us in there. I know you've been pretty active. You, honestly, like everybody in the industry that I know in, in DC, um, you're definitely one of those guys that's always been on the hustle. Like you've got four or five things going all the time. You've been consulting for a long time while you're working full-time jobs. Uh, you definitely aren't phoning it in, you know? So what's up with the with the clothing and brand that you're doing? Fair enough. So as I get older, I keep thinking, what can I do that's going to be different or interesting? And I wear Tiki shirts most days of the week. You're, you're probably not going to see me in, in, in anything else. So I'm like, I need to create something where that I would want to wear. And I'm really big into fashion. So I'm like, what, what can I do? I'm going to create my own tropical and cocktail style clothing brand. Why not? People are people, people are doing it. I love cocktails. You know, mover shakers out there doing their thing. Maybe I can give some competition. So yeah. It's kind of how they get started. You know, when you see that there's a really kick-ass clever design, especially in in the service industry, the all the inside jokes that we all like, ah, where did you get that? Where did you get that? And it's every time I see one, I'm like, damn it. And uh, you know, somebody just recently came close. It might have been mover and shaker actually. And uh we've got a really I can't even talk about it on the show because like, I'm just surprised it hasn't occurred to anybody yet, but it's in that uh, tropical cocktail vibe. So 
uh, I'll tell you when we're off the air, you just don't steal it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, right on, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very weird time to be in the industry. It's, and, and to be quite honest, you know, I've been having a very hard time, like mentally keeping myself in the game. Uh, I mean, you know, typically those kinds of creative outlets have been the thing that have saved me, right? This podcast was something that every two weeks I could kind of remember why I do this until we all kind of got into that same boat of like, we're all burned out. We're all tired. Nobody's doing it because they're passionate about it anymore. We're doing it because we have to pay our bills. And I want to say nobody, but like, it's definitely more of a grind than it was before. You know, we don't have the same kind of ability to just kind of, like I said earlier, the unbridled creativity. Now we just like, no, we can't afford to have something sitting in the walk-in and getting tossed every four or five days because it was, you know, the loss leader on the menu. We can't afford loss leaders. Now we've got to just kind of hone everything in uh, with a laser and just to keep the doors open. And so, you know, it's been, it's been tough for me personally. Um, and, you know, in the podcast, you know, when I took a break from that, I didn't realize how much of a reset that really was, but, you know, it's just kind of getting that uh, energy to get up and do something. And that's why I think it's real cool that, you know, in addition to, to spending so much time in the business, you know, you're kind of working on designs, working on the clothing, still very, very much into fashion. And um, those are the sorts of things. And I think it's important. And I think it's probably more obvious to a lot of people out there now um, that it's important to have passions outside our industry. Um, you know, who knows? Those, they might turn into jobs later. Who knows? But, you know, at this point, you know, just keeping your, your mind uh, nimble, <laughs> to quote the dude, but uh, keeping it limber. There you go. Um, because it is when you're concentrating on drinks and spirits and nothing else all day long, every day, when that rug gets pulled out from underneath you, you don't have anything else left. And that's kind of where I found myself of like, wow, okay, now we're, what now? What now? I mean, you know, and, uh, and I'm still very much in the burnout phase. Uh, hopefully after I get these surgeries on my feet, I'll feel a little bit better about that. And, uh, you know, if the bad news would stop coming, um, to all of our listeners out there, we just, uh, we're talking about it before we got rolling today, but, uh, just found out that Michael K. Williams, uh, passed away and suspected heroin overdose and, that sucks, man. He's one of my favorite actors. In fact, I, I've been rewatching The Wire. I'm like up to season four again. And because uh, I watched it when it first came out and like going back and watching it again, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, it's like just as relevant, but the acting's still amazing, still on point. It doesn't feel dated, you know, it still feels amazing. And just, uh, I know that he had some troubles uh, with addiction even during the filming of that show. And I, I'd, I had hoped that he had kicked it, but uh yeah, that's that's sad times, man. I mean, it's a, there's a real world out there happening outside of our bars, and you know everybody needs to uh, take care of each other, take care of yourself. I'm, I know that I'm like you know being a hypocrite here. I'm like I'm not taking care of myself whatsoever, but you know, uh, you know, make it happen. Al's doing it. If you need somebody to consult for your bar, call him. He's in, do, do you actually do consultancy outside of your home city? I mean, I know Baltimore's not too far away, but do you even go that far, or is it always in DC? It's normally in the DC region. I've not left Maryland, DC, or Virginia yet, as far as consulting is concerned. But the, the the door is open. There you go. So if you're outside the DMV, you want to get into a uh, rural Pennsylvania, Appalachia, open a new cool uh, trendy bar. <laughs> yeah, probably not Appalachia Craft Cocktail. That'd be cool though, man. I mean, I don't know what do you do. Like, uh, I'm sure there's something. You know, there's always some cool flavors anywhere you go. You know, with it's what like you said. You know, when you think of Laos or Northern Thailand or Northern Vietnam, you know, the first thing that comes to mind isn't craft cocktails, um, but they're there and the flavors are there. And it's, uh, it is exciting. And those are the kind of moments that uh, excite you again. And uh, I guess recalibrate what you thought you knew, you know, you have to have something to knock you down a few notches every few years. <laughs> You're like, and, and like, you know, I, I've been to mini bar. I mean, you guys are operating at the, you know, the top of your game and, you know, to like have that all, fall out from underneath you and be like, Hey, and hold on. You're not doing any of that shit here. Like here, here's the flavors that we work with. And, you know, that's, it's scary, but fun. You know, it kind of just, uh, it resets everything and brings, keeps you humble. <laughs> it does. It's, it's really great. Like, and the thing about me is like, I get bored kind of easy. So mm. which is part of the reason why I have so many things happening. Cause I, I, I always have ideas. I'm like, I can get this idea out into the world, whatever it might be, you know? So whether that's, people's new menus or doing pop-ups or menus at tip cows. It's always like a, a constant like flow of like, I have to get my ideas into the world. So 
And we ought to do when the world it stops burning or at least cools down a little bit. I mean, I have you in do like a pop-up at Inferno and we'll like bring in my, uh, some of my Thai team as well. We'll do like a three-way pop-up and consultancy because my, my chefs and stuff, they don't like to do pop-ups just because they work enough as it is. But, uh, and they're older. My chef's like 74 um, and her, her husband's like 65 or something like that. But, you know, they, they like doing those things. Just uh, they don't know how to go about it. That'd be real cool to do like a collaboration with like the three teams. That'd be pretty neat. That'd be awesome. So like, where can everybody find you and find the restaurant and the bar and everything on social media? Like how, do, how do we find what you're doing? I know we already mentioned your Instagram a minute ago, but you want to, you know, give us a, another uh, rundown of everything. Absolutely. So uh, I am, you can find me on Instagram, most social platforms at drunken mixologist. Uh, the cocktail bar is Hanuman with an H you'll see it spelled with, without the H, uh, which is how it's spelled normally, but it's Hanuman with the H underscore DC. And then the Instagram is uh, tip cow. That's so that's where you find us. I-P. That's correct. Yes. Thank yeah, you for well, that. Actually, we don't know if anybody knows it's called Cal. So it's T-H-I-P-K-H-A-O. A-O. I always transpose the A and the O. Um, so what does tip cow mean? I mean, cow means rice. Uh, what is tip? Rice basket. Ah, there we go. All so, right. Yeah, tips the basket. Yeah, I mean, that, the languages are so similar between uh, Laos and, and Thai. And so I can put together a little bit here and there. But, you know, it's not a language that I'm, I can speak. You know, I can understand more than I can speak. It's a tough, it's tonal. I can't do that. Can you speak yeah. it? I know a, a few <laughs> words here and there. You know I you say, that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's all about the intonation. Right. Yeah. And it's impossible. Like I've been, I've lived with a Thai woman for 16 years, you know, and I'm constantly around Thai people at work. And I think I know the words and then I say it and they just look at me like, what the fuck are you saying? I'm like, I swear to God, I'm saying it the way you're saying it. And they're just like, I don't understand it. Then they just do it with a different tone. They're like, oh, right. I know what you're like. It's very true. Confusing, but it is, you know, that's the language. (laughs) It's so interesting you say that because I always say it's like Spanish and Portuguese. They're very similar languages, but it's it's the the tones. I was in Brazil and I was trying to speak Portuguese. I don't speak Portuguese at all, but I speak Spanish. And people were not, I was saying what I thought they were saying. And I had the right tone and they're like, we don't understand you. Yeah. And it's the same thing. The same thing. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It, it's wild. And it's, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it, it's one of the kind of cool things about Thai. I always, I'll be like, it's, it's not that complicated of a language. Um, and it's spoken relatively slowly. It's almost like Spanish, Spanish versus Mexican Spanish. But <laughs> the reason for that is because of the tones. You can, can't fly through a conversation and, and give every word the right tone. And so, yeah, it's, it's rough. In addition, in Thai, and I don't know uh, about Lao, I, I presume, because I think they're both languages uh, stemmed off of Khmer uh, historically, but um, there's not much conjugation really in Thai. And so like, hey, let's go. Or like, are you going? Or I'm going. Like all of it's the same sentence. So if you can't just like Spanish or French or, you know, like no 70% of the words in a sentence and you're like, ah, I can figure it out. You got to understand all of the words to get the context in, in those languages. So it's pretty rough, you know, especially for us dumbass Americans that only speak one fucking language, right? You know, <laughs> like we're not raised speaking five, like all of our European friends or, you know, at least two, well, three, but the folks you work with, right? They're speaking Lao. They probably speak Thai, speaking English. You know, that's, it, it's a lot, man. It makes you feel stupid, doesn't it? <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. Definitely, definitely a, an adjustment. So, um, well, you don't know what the winter is going to bring, but uh, hopefully our guests can, you know, our listeners can come out, see what's going on. Uh, is there a projected open date uh, for Hanuman? Uh, or is it kind of playing it by ear to kind of see how the fall and winter goes? We're playing it by, by ear right now. Mm-hmm. We'll see where, you know, where COVID goes these next couple of months. Hopefully it gets better and we can open soon. <laughs> yeah. Only time yeah. so. Yeah. It's like fucking tug of war, right? I mean, people are like fighting to keep this pandemic alive. I don't get it, but you know, whatever. That's another episode. Yeah. It makes no sense. Like how we politicized like the health. Everybody wants to get back to normal. Me too. I want to get back to normal so badly. I'm like, I've already lost two of my businesses. I want to get back to normal, but I understand I have to make a little bit of sacrifice now to make that happen instead of just stretching it out forever. Whatever. Again, that's another episode. Man, I totally appreciate you coming on the show. I know I've, uh, I've dropped the ball a couple of times in the last... Uh, in fact, you were supposed to be the guest right before I kind of turned off the mixing board and just were like, I'm, I'm taking a break. And so um, 
Yeah, I'm glad that we were able to connect again. I really, I'm dying to get out there again, man. Um, your restaurants is one of the places that uh, I've been most anxious to get back to because just some really, really amazing meals there. And last time I was there, I think I did just have beer, so I, I definitely missed out. You wouldn't have been with the with them yet, so um, I, I guess I didn't miss your drinks. But definitely interested in hitting the bar. That's it's super cool, and that's a cool location as well. So for everybody out there, check them out on the socials. I'll link through it to on the so- show notes. Um, you can find us at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. Uh, same on Instagram. Um, you know, I've got another show out there, A440 podcast as well, but uh, we're still kind of uh, putting the pieces together on that. You know, the pandemic is definitely hitting us hard. So, um, you know, find us, follow us. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening. And thanks for coming on the show, man. I, uh, again, you, you've been at the top of my list to, uh, to kind of get re, restarted. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your week to do this. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's definitely great to be here. I've, I've listened to Shift Drink, you know, multiple times, and it's just nice to, to, to be on and talk to you. Yeah, man. It's always fun. That's a lot of people I, I'm friends with in D.C. are through the show. So it's uh, definitely been very, very cool. Uh, so well, until next time, man, we'll have you back on after uh, Hanuman gets kind of up and going, get your feet grounded again, and we'll kind of like revisit. You know, right now, everything's just such in flux. You know, we could probably have everybody on every two weeks and it'd be different energy, right? <laughs> So true. Well, good luck, man. And, you know, stay safe out there. And I know it's rough, but uh, hopefully all kinds of, it sounds like your hustle's really bringing you through it. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, hopefully everybody will come out, check it out, and not be an asshole about how long it took to get their cocktail. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. Anybody listening out there, don't fucking do that. All right. (laughs) Until next time, brother. We'll talk to you soon, man. Absolutely.